right. Welcome everybody to the IEG Thursday thing, this thing that we do every Thursday. We all hang out, um, tend to have a topic or two to chat about, um, and sometimes we have really cool guests, just like we do this week. I'm pretty stoked about this one, because there's there's a few brands in my personal life that are very special to me. Obviously, IEG is one of them. Um, and, uh, you know, I, there's a couple others that I can name, um, you know, fuel lab being one of them, but one of them that I have been very diehard with for damn over a decade now. Um, it really has been that long. I'm, I'm getting, I'm real close to it either way. It's for a long damn time. Okay. Has been fortune auto. Uh, fortune auto is a suspension company based out of Virginia. Um, We've been using them for a long time. I've personally been using them for a very long time. Way back at my first stint at Six Star Motorsports, um, where we ran into some issues with a bunch of coilovers that we were ordering from a particular place, and uh, went and did some research to find a different brand. And I think when I first called somebody, I got a hold of the owner, because this company is not very large, and that was Terry, and I had been talking to Terry for years. Now Terry's, um, he's he's finally let other people start running the place, and, uh, you know, Fortunato's doing its thing. But today, we have Zach, uh, who is Zach Peterson, who is one of the uh, R&D engineers for Fortunato, but again, as he'll tell you, he's, it's not a very big company. And when it's not a very big company, you may have one name, but you have many hats. And, uh, I'm sure he's going to have some highly entertaining stories of this, but I, I'm, I'm super stoked to have you here. Uh, Zach, how you doing, man? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for inviting us on. This is you know, an exciting, exciting opportunity. Uh, I think, you know, especially in, in our community that we kind of cohabitate in, uh, the, the Subaru land, if you will, uh, there's, yeah. you know, your name is tossed around a lot. So absolutely familiar with you guys as well. Yeah. I mean, we're kind of that thing. <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. So one of the things I've always wanted to do is, uh, and I didn't realize it till well after I started working for IAG is fortune auto isn't that far from uh ieg and i i kind of want to make a trip down there and maybe do a video or something just poke around um i think it'd be fun you guys always have there's you always have guys like like the gears and gasoline guys over at your shop and uh you know poking around but i'd like to see it for myself you know put a few uh names to faces people i've been talking to for a really long time you know for the longest time the only person i like knew on a face-to-face basis was terry <laughs> you know <laughs> And then, uh, you know, then you, you Devin and some of the other guys and, you know, I'd like to meet you in person. It'd be cool. This is honestly like literally we met five minutes ago. Um, and that was, <laughs> they, they put you up to this and, uh, I, I think we we're going to have some good stories. So if you don't mind me asking without me putting a bunch of words in your mouth, what do you do for fortune auto? Um, you know, some of your hats and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, tell us a little bit about yourself. What do you drive? What do you do? What's the situation? Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Um, first of all, definitely swing by. I think you're probably, uh, not much farther away than the gears and gasoline guys are. They're in Lynchburg, about two hours away from us here. So definitely stop by. 
Um, but yeah, to uh, go over a little bit about what I do, uh, who I am. Uh, so I lead research and development here at Fortune Auto. Uh, I've been doing that since September of 2022, so not terribly long. Um, the primary thing that I've focused on since starting working here is uh, improving our ability to uh, really quickly and algorithmically uh, create ideal coilover setups. So that could be for, you know, whatever car you have, whatever scenario you have, uh, my goal is to be able to take in as much data as possible and generate a really ideal scenario for that. Okay. So do they have you doing a lot of the uh, like new platform development or are you kind of mixed in both? Like, Hey, somebody's trying to do something batshit crazy with this car. They're going to be running 3000 pounds of downforce or something. I mean, do you get, are you doing both? Like what's your, what's your situation? So the primary focus, and I, I see some things in the chat here about my volume. Um, yeah. I was turning down my input volume instead of my output volumes. That's my bad. Um, there you go. The, uh, the, the primary day-to-day -day that I do is going to be for new applications uh, and revisiting applications that we you know, need to make adjustments to uh, for, you know, for new products. So maybe not a new application. Uh, but for example, with like our 520 series club racer, uh, if we need to go back and revisit a chassis for some additional refinements on that application that we already have a 500 and a 510 series for, I'll, I'll do yeah. that. Um, the day-to-day -day kind of custom setups for big aero cars or, you know, cars that are using like a bizarre custom suspension geometry that has like, you know, cantilevers or maybe like somebody's throwing a double wishbone set up onto a car that didn't have one in the first place and they need to figure out like what kind of spring rates to use on this suspension that doesn't exist on anything else. That stuff is going to be primarily handled by our motorsports coordinator, Devin. Um, yep. That'll be, yeah, so so if you've, you, you mentioned him earlier, you've interacted with him. Um, Devin is fantastic. He has like maybe the best memory of anybody I've ever met in my entire life. He can remember a spring rate that somebody was running on a track car 11 years ago at a specific event during a specific time period. It's absolutely insane. Dude, so he, he's he got nailed that. it off yeah. the top of his head when he, he gave us spring rates for, for boogie this year. Like the car was night and day when I, I was just like, I'm just going to listen to him. <laughs> it, it worked out that. beautifully. Yeah. No, he's been, he's been doing a fantastic job of, uh, you know, helping out our, our sponsored drivers and then just uh, anybody else, really, uh, dealers, uh, other customers, tons of stuff like that. Um, so he does have a lot of, uh, like, a lot of those things in his head somehow. Uh, I still really can't comprehend how he does that. But uh, we do uh, collaborate on the development of, like, algorithms and different uh, little tools and things for helping him tune stuff as well, uh, kind of as extensions of how we would tune a new application. Um, but yeah, so the, the, the long and short of it is the vast majority of the stuff I do is new product development and uh, product refinement. So, yeah. Nice. So I brought one of, uh, he's kind of my partner in crime. Um, 
we, we, we refer to him as warranty. His name's Andrew, but his name is warranty. <laughs> I brought him in here too. Cause I, I, I knew this was going to be a conversation he was going to love, but yeah. Awesome. So you're, you're working on all sorts of crazy stuff. Um, yeah, cool. absolutely. <laughs> um, I guess, uh, what do you, what do you drive right now? What are you personally driving? So right now I have uh, a 2012 Acura TSX wagon. Um, that's like the only thing I All have. Right. It's like my, right, my yeah. daily. Yeah, it's um 100% verifiably bone stock, uh, yep. which is probably how it'll stay for a while because it's just like a really good and uh, and well sorted daily. Um, yeah. And then, uh, yeah, and then my my wife and I have a uh, a 2022 Accord uh, 2.0 T. So, um, are you are you a Honda guy? Then is that would you would you consider yourself a Honda guy? So, uh, through no fault of my own, I have ended up uh, with with only basically Honda Accords. Um, okay. The, the TSX wagon is yeah. Is, uh, Accord or based vehicle. <laughs> exactly. So you like washing machines. You're just a big fan <laughs> of just. It's like such a good appliance. My favorite vehicular appliance is the uh, is a is a Prius. Oh my god, it's so good. Like, <laughs> oh yeah. It's, it's just you know point A to point B. You don't have to put oil in it. You don't have to put fuel in it. Hardly. It's it just does the job and it doesn't complain about it. And you know Hondas are the same way. But in the case of the TSX. This was a vehicle that I was looking at uh, as like a fun car for a while, uh, specifically because it's one of the only kind of vehicles in its class that has true double wishbone suspension at all four corners. Most yeah. other vehicles in that class will have like a semi-trailing arm or a trailing arm and some kind of divorced rear setup. This uh, is yeah. this is the thing that somebody that works at a suspension <laughs> company would look at before anything. You know, I right. don't care if it makes shit for horsepower. Does it got double wishbone all the way around? Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, right. And it and it and it does not make much horsepower. I think it I think it makes just a shade over two hundred and it's fairly heavy for its you know, for its time. So it's not fast. Um, but it's you know, it does a fantastic job of of, you know, being a daily. It's pretty fun to drive a little bit more spiritedly. Um and uh and recently I did uh get rid of my NC Miata. Um sold that to a friend because uh, I did not have the time to really drive it and enjoy it anymore so it's off oh. actually getting enjoyed yep. which is great so yeah but uh, i've enjoyed that i've had uh volkswagen gti before i got the miata um, okay so yeah i've had a i've had a a fairly like diverse selection of vehicles none too eclectic. Yeah. yeah all right um what how did you get into becoming a suspension engineer so um pretty much by accident uh <laughs> that's how most of it happens <laughs> yeah so i uh my undergrad uh work is in biomedical science uh, i had every intention to go to medical school and so i did all of my undergrad work with the intention of going to medical school and then about i don't know six months before graduating college i was you know pretty sure that I was no longer going to medical school, so I was going to go do like a PhD in something else. Um, so I applied for a PhD in bioinformatics at VCU. And bioinformatics is like a, a, a big, broad umbrella of data science, but primarily applied to 
like just biological sciences. Um, so I applied for that. I got accepted to a PhD at VCU. I did a year of that. And then uh, if anybody knows anything about like science and psychological research and things like that, uh, I was almost ready to submit my IRB paperwork. And that's uh, just a bunch of big forms that allow me to do human subjects testing. And so I was kind of at an impasse because I was feeling a little bit kind of burnt out with the research that I was doing after only a year. Uh, it was, you know, I was about to make a, a pretty big jump in my dissertation work. But if I made one more step, I was going to have to do like a lot of paperwork and basically commit for the next three years. And so I was looking around at different options. Um, uh, I had uh, recently, or at, at that point, um, my wife and I had our uh, first child. And so we were kind of like thinking about different uh, different situations for, you know, like how to how to manage uh, incomes and stuff like that. At that time, uh, I was at home doing like school part time uh, with our daughter, and my wife was working. Uh, she's a social worker, sure. and so we kind of decided that maybe it was time to uh, to, to trade places. Um, and so I started looking around for different job opportunities, like in the uh, just general like data science or biological sciences realm, looking for some like psychology things or lab technician positions. And uh, I saw that there was a position open at Fortune. And so I signed it to a friend of mine because I knew he was interested in applying. Um, and then a month later, uh, he had not applied. And I was still exploring different options. And so I just applied on a whim. Um, and then I interviewed the next day. And uh, I was the last interview for that cycle, I believe. Of uh, of hiring for the new R and D position, and uh, yeah, and that was it. So here I am through a very uh, long and winding road. Um, my background in like automotive stuff has been pretty much purely hobby and like just personal interest. Um, I had a lot of like physics and math courses in college because so, of the way that the thing was set up. Go ahead. You were a car guy before you went to Fortune or did be going to Fortune make you more of a car guy or was this this, you know, like I, I like Nerf guns, you know what I mean? I, I know this sounds stupid. It's it, I like I have a whole bunch of Nerf guns. I would call it a exterior hobby of mine. You know, was it kind of like this outlier side hobby of yours that you like to mess around with and then like you got a career in it and became more involved? Or were you like, you know, what, what, what's your relationship with, with cars then? That's, that's, that's actually really wild. And I like to hear this, that, um, you know, this, it, you, you're a highly educated man. Okay. <laughs> and it's, yeah, you are, somehow. you're not just some punk off the street saying you're an engineer, you know, um, this is, this is actually really, really cool to hear. I mean, on, on paper, on paper, I am definitely just some punk off the street saying I'm an engineer. Um, yeah, whatever. <laughs> My degree says, you know, doesn't say any engineering, but I do have, you know, coursework in that area. Um, Data sciences so, are a part of that, though. <laughs> yeah, they are. They they do help um, in a in a pretty roundabout way. Although I have been able to to integrate a little bit of that. Um, 
But from the motorsports and like just general car stuff side of things, um, it was always kind of yeah, like just like you said, like a you know an, an outside hobby. Uh, it was something that I would would you know I was interested in, just kind of sure. on the side. Um, my dad was uh, big into autocross in the mid early eighties. He had a Ford Fiesta Ghia, which he yeah wide bodied and built the motor what? on. Wow, in the eighties, that's 80s. what's up. <laughs> um, yeah, he was looking at uh, back then. He he got the car, um, and, and as he tells it. Uh, at that time, they were built in England because the Gia had a Lotus motor in it. Yeah. And so, I, I so thought, people, yeah. so they understand there was the Ford Fiesta, and then the Festiva was built after that, based off of like a Daihatsu or something. And then the Fiesta came back again as another small vehicle. But the Fiesta was originally a very small. I, if I remember right, like you just said, it was built in England. I'm pretty sure that was a very European little hatchbacky thing, very um, reminiscent of like a Mark One Golf. Yeah, yeah, that's that's pretty cool. Um, yeah, it, so there's some history that gets yeah, you into cars. Oh, Dad was a serious true. autocrosser. He's yeah. wide bodying cars in the 80s. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's but awesome. He, uh, he had to pull all the wiring out of the car when he got it because it was. Um, it was like all European wiring, and apparently there was uh, some uh, reliability issues with that. Yeah, with any European car at that time, the wiring yeah. would just fall apart. <laughs> so he, he and his friends rewired the car. Um, the whole, like, they did the whole, like, body harness and everything from scratch. And then he went to put, like, over fenders on it um, and, uh, and decided better of it and, uh, and had a shop in south florida uh cut the fenders and actually widen the body of the car <laughs> um, nice so it was wild it was as i understand it quite uh quite a proper menace of a car um you know fitting the the physically the largest like tires you could actually fit under there and everything yeah. so it was you know you gotta uh, think for its time too i bet you that was just insane that was yeah exactly and and he yeah. uh you know uh i when I got a, I got a GTI like mid college and he was like super thrilled to drive that. And he was like, uh, yeah, this makes, this makes the Fiesta feel like a, like a golf cart, right? Like that's where we've come yeah. right? that your, your, your base model GTI, like no, no sunroof, no extras, no nothing cloth seats. <laughs> it was, you know, and it still has, that says like 200 horsepower or whatever, even back in like 2010, I had, I had a Mark six GTI. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, that's not even that's not crazy. even the same world. Right, exactly. <laughs> it's unreal. So if you've fun. ever had a chance to drive like a a Mark One GTI, uh, even to a certain degree a Mark Two GTI, it is that will really show you how far cars have came. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, we it's we live in day. wild times, man. So. Yeah, cool. But that's been in my genetics basically. It's it's just kind of been in there for a while, and then I had this opportunity, and and now it's like. Um, it's like a, a like a high level uh, obsessive problem, uh, you know. Now, <laughs> uh, as you could expect, I imagine. I mean, it, it, you're you're amongst um, amongst friends here. You're in a safe place. We can talk about it. So, what does your dad think of it? Sorry. 
Yeah, that's a great question. No, I mean he's he's thrilled. He's you know he's always been and in, been interested in in this stuff. Still, um, he just kind of goes through these phases. So like when he was you know when he was young, he put all his money into cars. Uh, then he got a little sure. older, got you know got married, had kids. Uh, that took up a lot of money. And then uh, when he started having like you know more disposable income, he started doing mountain biking. And so he, all right, yeah, you know, a lot of suspension in there. Yeah, but there's that's like. True. <laughs> There's this genetic factor of like, you know, you put all of your, all of your extra effort and effort, all of this, you know, extra energy and money and, and, and attention into like one specific, like really niche thing. Um, yes. So now, now it's guitars. Uh, now he just buys a lot of guitars. <laughs> you know what? Um, Everybody's got to have their thing, man. Exactly. Mm-hmm. It goes, it goes in phases. And, uh, so I'm, I'm in my, I'm in my, in my suspension phase and, uh, um, he's thrilled. He's uh, he's been a mathematician for 35 years though, so we are able to compare a lot of uh, a lot of data and notes and like have uh, you know he's he's helped me out with a few tricky weird projects that I needed to talk through with somebody. You know he doesn't have a background in like suspension or in engineering like that, but he has you know a, a ton of experience in in yep. mathematics and a bunch of different areas that he's able to like you know kind of provide a little bit of cross disciplines and help out. So yeah, very cool. let me uh. Let's wander a bit over into the suspension side of this, because one of the things I wanted to talk about today more than anything was misconceptions about coilovers. Okay. Um, And just in general, um, some of this directed almost directly towards fortune um, and some of this just in general. So the first one I I desperately want to get out of the way. And, and I hear this all the time is, um, a coilover is going to ride rough. Okay. Like a coilover is a race product and it's going to ride rough. Um, okay. what do you say to that? Um, okay. <laughs> uh, I will say that, 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 you know, if, uh, if you're looking at numbers to determine truth, then yes, that's the truth. But if okay. you're looking at definitions, then no, that's not the truth. Coilover is just like a a term that's been adopted. I don't know where it originated. Coilover has been like integrated into a kind of slang speak in the car community. It's like now a colloquial term for what Fortune makes, right? A aftermarket like a race damper or just a like a a a full replacement aftermarket piece of suspension. When I think in actuality, or at least the way that I think about it, a coilover is just a coil or a spring over a damper. So it's just a, you know, what a lot of people would refer to as a strut, right? It's just yes. a name for, a, yeah, just a name for a, a, a suspension piece. Um, so and, it's, it's almost and, like a yeah. format more than any. So a lot of, when people refer to coilovers, you know, you especially when you're talking automotive aftermarket, most people shoot straight to, you know, your, your typical spring over a shock situation. A lot of format to a lot of times that's not what it is, but most people are thinking adjustable suspension, you know, but if you're thinking like, uh, uh, focus ST is where the first thing that comes to mind. Like the springs, not even over the shock. <laughs> yeah. You know? I like to call that a, a coil next to. Yeah. The rear. <laughs> it's not exactly uh-huh. an over. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Coil adjacent. Um, but 
Yeah, right. That's like, you know, it's a, it's a spring and a damper, and they are together as one unit, and that's a coilover. And that can reference yep. a lot of different things. But but yeah, I, I agree. Like the, you know, the the term for coilover has come to mean like adjustable aftermarket suspension more than anything else. So now let's let's live within that realm, okay? Because this is how, it, unfortunately, we're not going to do God's work here and say adjustable shock suspension, whatever, however we want to go about this. It's going to be set. It, it'll be coilover forever. The same way that people think turbo lag is when the turbo actually like comes into boost when that is boost threshold. You know, it's it's. I've tried. Right. We're not fighting that, okay? So um, now we're living in in. So it, within that, um, maybe I should use the term harsh. Um, that yeah. that the ride quality is immediately poor when you put a coilover on your car. Yeah. So. So again, in in yeah. like in in common things. There, there seems to be like a popular, a popular opinion, right? Like that, yep. that, that stiff and harsh and bumpy and bouncy is performant. It is fast, right? Yep. Um, but the quickest thing to get out of the way right up front is if you're thinking about spring rates. Um, and I saw a few questions in the chat about spring rates earlier, but I think I yes. missed them. Um, uh, lower spring rate usually translates to more mechanical grip at the wheel or at the at the tire i should say and higher i like this guy translates to yep. less mechanical grip so if you're you know if your car is bumping and bouncing along over the road think about it as skipping a rock on a pond if you're on track and you are driving quickly you want your tire to be touching the surface of the road as much as possible so that you can either put power down and propel yourself forward or keep your car, you know, adhered to the track in a corner so that you can keep going and carry that speed. And so if you feel bounciness and you feel bumpiness and harshness and crashiness and you're feeling that, that's energy being wasted and not being uh, used to adhere your tire to the road. So at the, at the core of it, bounciness and harshness is like uh, often... A limit, a limit of mechanical grip. So, it so what it what I think a lot of things though, no, and that's again you you're especially if you're talking a a your basic non aero dependent vehicle, yeah. um, you are so incredibly right. It's ridiculous, and more people need to hear that. You you actually hear this out of a lot of race engineers that they'll they'll keep backing off on spring rate. And, and harshness of the suspension as much as humanly possible until the driver gets pissed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's the, that's the best, the best option, right? Like yep. you want to, and this is like a huge thing in rally as well. Um, limiting spring rate and letting the damper do the work is like a, a very popular tuning technique. Soft, yep. soft springs, very long springs, tons of travel means more tire contact. Yep. That was actually one of the things we had to modify on, on boogie recently as we went to, it was, we, we just basically had everything crammed together. Um, and it's one of the big problems that you have on the, so I don't know how familiar you are with the, uh, the 
the Subaru lineup, but I'm pretty sure you know plenty. But in 08, they switched the multi-link rear suspension. And um, yep. like the shock itself is extraordinarily short. Um, and it doesn't leave, it doesn't give you a lot of room for a long spring or a long shock. Um, there's some interesting things that I think we've been bouncing around with, uh, with Devin on trying. It's something I'd like to try on our drag car, even, um, of maybe doing some geometry corrected arms and, okay. uh, like some, like a, a raised top hat to try to cram something longer in there. Um, but I, I don't remember where I was going with that. Either way, um, there's a, a lot to that. <laughs> and so that's Does one that... of the myths. And I think you've, you've kind of covered it is it, 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 it's more of a format. It doesn't necessarily mean it's going to ride awful. Like a perfect example of this. Let's go back to the actual topic. I'm, I do this a lot and you just got to bear with me. Um, this is my ADHD going nuts. Uh, I'm here. It's exactly why he's here. Um, so <laughs> going back to the topic, if if you were to put somebody inside like an E36 M3, it's like my favorite example. Okay. Um, that car performs great. It, it doesn't have a ton of body roll, um, but I, you'd have a hard time unless you were driving around in like Detroit. Um, somebody saying it's overly harsh, you know, um, I think from the factory, that's probably one of the best suspensions ever. Um, and in, in a way, I, I think that's what a lot of people wish they could get and think they can't unless they, they either spend boatloads of money or whatever. Um, so, okay, let's go to my next misconception. Cause this is a big one. Um, it's just my daily driver. Uh, I'll be, you know, I'll be fine with X junk random suspension. Like it, it's, I, 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 it's only my daily. You don't, you only need nicer suspension for the track is essentially what they're getting at. Um, what do you say to that? Oh yeah. Um, your, your spine will thank you later if you, uh, if you choose a different path. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there is definitely something to be said for not spending money on a beater. Now there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, yeah. cost per mile is a great metric by which to choose a car in some cases. Um, but if you need to replace the suspension on your beater, on your daily, the absolute best case scenario is buy new OEM struts or new OEM shocks. Those are going to give you like the best ride and the best performance because they're designed and engineered, you know, for example, like let's take Honda, right? Uh, to think that, um, you know, that Honda who spent probably like, like pushing into seven figure ranges on developing the suspension on a Honda Accord, for example, yep. to think that you're going to, uh, like do better than them with $300 and an yeah, eBay for, account for a daily. Is, yeah. Exactly. yeah. For an eBay coilover, it's gonna, it's gonna kill it. It's but gonna be very hard. Yeah. Let's, let's, you know, let's throw this in here. Okay. Let's say your suspension looks good, but you're this guy who's like, yo, I want to, I, I, this car's got too much wheel gap or whatever. I want to make this. So they just throw a basic, you know, drop spring on it, um, versus doing a proper coil. And the reason they did the drop spring is they, they truly believe that it's, it's going to ride and perform better than a properly engineered coil over. 
Yeah, no, I mean, there's, there's a, there's a fantastic place in the market for, for lowering springs. And, Yes. um, Interesting. and there's a, there's a ton of lowering springs that are fantastic. Um, Mm -hmm. because the, you know, the OEM dampers, again, they're going to maintain the factory geometry that Honda spent millions of dollars to develop. And if you, you know, if you throw that away, you better be prepared to figure out how to make it good. And so that is where aftermarket adjustable suspension comes in
the the set of five hundred dollar junk coilovers are probably going to outperform the four thousand dollar set of Pro Two Ways. Oh, I mean, so yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, yes, I'm, I'm a fire. <laughs> yeah, like with, without a doubt, and yeah, <laughs> and specifically using the like the multi ways as an example for that. Yep, like that puts you right in that territory. Um. Those are products like right uh, our our Pro Series shocks, like our, our remote reservoir multi ways, like the Dreadnoughts uh, two ways and three ways. Those are custom order only. Yep. There's there's no default, so you have to have a baseline understanding to even order those from us. You say that, but then they go used. Mm. I'm they just saying. Do and, and, and then so you end up with them, some yeah. dude who just he wanted external reservoirs for clout. And then he throws them on there and he's driving around on these things. Who who knows how they're set up? You know what I mean? They could have been set up for some car with, like I said, like 3,000 pounds of air or something. He's driving around in a stance mobile. Um, and then he complains about how they ride. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, they're going yeah. to be a little, a little rough. Although I, I, I'm thinking that actually might not be a terrible scenario if you have only like... It's probably the best scenario out. for him. <laughs> That would do a fantastic job of of like preventing fender damage. Yeah. So is there is is there not like a default setup that you just tell everybody to follow? So I'm, I'm looking at my mountain bike right now, which is when I bought it, they had me stand on the mountain bike and jump up and down to get the what is it preload sag setup, and then they added air to the air spring to my body weight, and then said, "How does it feel?" And I said, "Oh, it feels fine." Took it out, and it rode great. I didn't have to think about suspension for since i bought it is there anything like that for buying a nice set of coilovers i mean yeah absolutely so there's uh it's not as easy right you can't like just jump up and down on your car and this and then like spring rate i mean you you know if somebody could figure out a way to go out onto your roof and jump up and down (laughs) right exactly (laughs) like yeah like if somebody came up with an aftermarket solution to uh like like DIY calibrate your air suspension in that manner, that would be really cool. But until then, um, you know, that's what, that's what, that's what we'll do during our R and D process. Um, we will take a car, uh, for example, um, for the Subaru community, uh, uh, fortune bought a VA two WRX so that we could, go through that chassis and revise it because that's one of our most popular applications. Yep. So we we've you know we've we've had the VA chassis application available since it came out, right? But there's always room for there's always room for improvement. And so we picked up the car and we just started effectively from scratch. So you're starting by weighing the car. You can weigh the car with and without passengers just for, you know, baseline perspectives. Um but most importantly, you're getting weights, you're getting corner weights, you're getting unsprung weights, you're using that to calculate sprung weights. And then from there, we're kind of figuring out what the like ideal circumstance is. Um, and that really depends. There's a lot of subjectivity to it. Um, because That's another thing I was going to get yeah. at. <laughs> I was going to say, you know, driving the VA on its stock suspension, I got a little bit of a 
uh, an insight into why a lot of our Subaru customers tend to prefer a firmer ride because the stock suspension on the VAWRX is is pretty firm and, and bouncy from a from like a suspension uh, technical standpoint. The um, the stock bump frequency on that car is very high for a road car, and so us to start at a place like i believe for a long time our default has has been like 8k 8k on that chassis um and that puts it in a really good place for like the vast majority of daily use um but it can it can be a little bit harsh for some people so what we like to do with all of this data is be able to do you know kind of what devin does right if somebody calls up and says hey you know, I've been recommended your your 500 series, but I wrote in my friends and they're just a little bit harsh. What can you do for me? So we would then adjust according to our measurements and dial in a setup exactly what they want within the range of day-to-day operation or within the range of track use. So we have those kind of spectrums available where you can have a, uh, if, you, if you're getting technical, you want to think about like the, the bump frequencies, um, which are, are measured in, in hertz. It's like basically how many bumps per second your car is going to do, how many oscillations up and down. Um, and so like really high downforce cars and like your, your, your LMP cars and stuff like that, um, uh, they're going to be in like the, in some cases, like five and 10 hertz. So they're going to be bouncing like crazy if they were to hit like, you know, your normal bump on the streets of Pittsburgh, for example. Um, it would go sky high, right? Because they have, they have very, very, very carefully engineered suspension to be extremely fast on a very smooth surface, right? But uh, a, you know, like a, a GR86, for example, that somebody's going to, drive every day to and from work and then they're going to take it out on the weekend and enjoy it on uh on public roads safely uh and those public roads may not be uh paved as well as uh you know as well as a track so we want to put the you know put the stock bump frequency into consideration we'll take a look at like what the stock spring rates for the car were we'll see how they compare to what we think feels good, because there is a huge element, again, of subjectivity here. It's what we think feels good as well as what we look at the numbers and see what is good. And so we try to strike a balance between those two. Um, Obviously, focusing on track performance is really huge for us. And so we want to, you know, give everybody the opportunity to have that nice adjustment range where they can experience a good, firm, performant ride if they were to take it on track or on a smooth, prepped surface, and then back it off for daily use to absorb more of those bumps. So in a, in a kind of a roundabout way, um, our you know defaults are there just to give people a, a part number to add to cart, and it's going to be pretty good for a lot of people. And those are this is again, yeah those are developed. This is one like, of the reasons I really like Fortune on, <laughs> and this is I know a little bit about you guys' background, but I wanna I wanna make sure people understand. Every set of Fortune autos are are built to order. Okay, this is also why it takes a little longer to get a set of Fortune autos. Um, 
and I, I truly believe you're missing out on the experience if you were to just order a set, quote-unquote, off the shelf. There's really not, you know, heaps of coilovers sitting on the shelf. This is another thing that aggravates me, too, is the amount of people who want to proclaim that you guys are just some other, um, you know, random Chinese whatever coilover brand, and and you're you're just getting heaps of this stuff shipped over already assembled. You guys are doing all the assembly, even down to your 500s, in-house there. Um, I think at one point you had like a sub brand. I don't remember. I forgot what it was called. And I don't think you guys even do that anymore. But, uh, but all of fortune auto 500s, 510s, all of that, they're, they're built in house. Um, and the nice thing about that is exactly what you just said. I've, what if it's a situation where you're around Chicago, you have absolutely no plans of taking that on track, but you want to add a set of performance wheels and tires. And you really like the way that it looks, if it's a little bit lower, um, but you don't want it to completely beat your guts up. Um, we could take like a VHS and we just talked about that having a AK8K setup, and then we could put on a set of 7K, 7K, and that it, you know you're you're going to give up maybe a little bit of that track performance for uh, a little bit more of a you know a comfortable ride. Um, or are you so? Yeah, That's I mean, and, and, uh, so I I think another thing that uh, I I one of the reasons one of the things that kept us with you guys with Fortunato was when I first started with you guys we were doing a lot of GD chassis STIs. Mm, yep, and okay. the inverted struts clunk like hell. Okay, yeah, and they, they ride did. like shit. <laughs> okay, so we would put a set of coilovers on, and the car would not only handle better, but it would ride better. Um, and I, I it, it was, uh, that was one of those highly enlightening things. Now that, that kind of inverted a little bit um, when uh, they went to the, the GR and the multi-link and put a significantly softer suspension in, but um, mm. I don't know if you remember that time. What's your thought on four struts? <laughs> Since you're so you're buying vehicles a hundred percent based off of having uh yeah, multi, uh, yeah. <laughs> I think double wish went all the way around. I'm sure four struts makes you cry. Uh, two struts makes me cry sometimes. Um, but but you know we'll we'll tolerate it as as long as as long as possible. Um, yeah. I think I think there's there's definitely right from from a packaging constraint and from a like just a, a general kind of vehicle consideration, the Strata is great, right? And I mean, you look at you look at Porsche as an example of yep. what happens when uh, I would say when you let the when you let the Germans uh, and this is I think I'm stealing this line directly from uh, a YouTuber, Superfast Matt, um, uh, who does a lot of engineering related content. But he said uh, Porsche is an example of what happens when you let the Germans iterate on something for a hundred years. So they've taken the McPherson strut, which is like by all accounts, probably like the worst option for a performance suspension. Um, (laughs) and they've, and they've made it, you know, like competitive with just about everything else on the street or on the track. So it's, you know, it's, it's a, it's a consideration for, for packaging constraints. Obviously, you have to sell cars to people, 
and people have things and things need to fit in cars and struts take up less space. You can fit more things in your car with struts. <laughs> and there's, you know, there's, there's nothing wrong with that. I think uh, it, is, it is honestly a pretty easy uh, shock to tune. There's less uh, like secondary forces and other, you know, other things to consider when you're, when you're tuning a strut because it's usually very close to a one-to-one motion ratio. So you don't have yep. to consider any other leverage factors or, you know, the, the, the unsprung mass is usually a lot lower too. So there are, there are certainly some, some great benefits behind it. And I mean, I think as is evidenced by, right, Subaru's uh, competitive history in, in rallies specifically is, is they, you know, again, if you, if you give even a suboptimal product to the right people, they can produce really good results with it. So, so some advantages as far as struts in a rally situation of they tend to take side load fairly, fairly well. And they're, they, depending on the, you know, the chassis setup and how you're building it, you know, and how that vehicle is built, you can actually get a decent amount of, uh, uh, a decent amount of suspension travel in a consumer product, you know, cause uh, you know, you've got to think an Impreza has to have a trunk, you know, it, it, right. it, yeah. You know, things of that nature, there's, there's an engine that is, it's sitting in there sideways. So it isn't like you could have the, these really long arms that protrude, you know, into the engine bay. Um, oh, exactly. Yeah. So, um, I've got a question that I'm interested to hear what your, your take is on this too. Um, so one of the options that you guys offer with your 500s and your 510s and a lot of these is um, you have your base model springs, okay? And then mm-hmm. you you also carry uh, uh, Swift and Hyperco, and I, we tend to use a lot of Swift. Um, okay. And the the biggest thing I have always found with the Swifts, and I the only way I can really explain it is voodoo, why do the cars ride better? You know, a set of 500s with a base spring rides pretty damn good, especially for what you pay for that suspension. Um, 510s even better. Um, but then you put Swiss on it, and not only do they ride better, but like, like I'm turning faster lap times. Why, why, what is, what is it about a spring change? Um, I don't, I, I truly don't understand what makes a Swift spring as good as it is. <laughs> okay. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of like, uh, I think like metallurgy factors that I have no comprehension of, uh, sure. with the way that, with the way that their alloy works, um, to put it like, I, I very, very surface level, uh, their metal, I believe has like a higher elasticity. It, it wants to, uh, it wants to re- react faster and return to its original form faster. So it's a, uh, it, you know, no pun intended. It is a swift spring. It's going to react quickly. It's a springier spring. (laughs) It's a a springier spring. It's a faster spring, but it's also a lighter spring. So from a ride quality perspective, uh, a, you know, a percentage of your unsprung weight is part of the the damper package, your your coilover that you have on, right? Um, And so a lighter spring on there leads to less unsprung weight, which is usually, uh, usually improves ride quality as long as you know, the damper is set up correctly. Um, 
And then I think the most important factor in ride quality, and you can see this in the design of OEM springs, fewer yes. coils and more stroke. That was exactly what I was yeah, about to ask because I've noticed that about Swifts that they tend to be, they can achieve the same spring rate using less metal. So exactly. like they don't have to coil it as many times and that's going to lead to more stroke. And some of that actually helps because if if you have more of an area for the shock to to move in, the shock has more ability and more time to control that motion. Am I exactly. getting that kind of right? Yeah, 100%. More stroke, more, more, you know, more movement of the damper piston inside of the shock. And that just, you know, it's more energy dissipated that would otherwise be transferred as, as NVH into the cabin yep. um, and would otherwise be, you know, wasted potential grip. So, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's down to uh, some, some metallurgy witchcraft in how they actually make the spring and then the construction, like the, the, the physical design of the spring is is a little bit more slender it's a little bit lighter and it has uh a, a significant amount more stroke in a lot of cases um so yeah it's yep. but th but that's the biggest factor by far i think so i in i i know we're hammering on springs here but <laughs> oh, ryan yeah. at turbo time who is a a long time listener he was actually on the show the other day um he's asking he's a he's an og hyperco fanboy um, do you got any thoughts on, on comparing those two? Are they both kind of the same concept, just different brands or, you know, is there something I don't quite understand with that? I, I gotta be real. Um, me personally driving these, and I'm just going to throw my two cents out there. I've always found the ride tends to be better on the Swifts. Um, but I, I don't, you know, that's my two cents. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm glad you brought that up because I was going to interrupt you and ask if I could address that question <laughs> that I saw in the chat. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So I, I love to talk about this. Um, the difference between like Hypercos that are in-house springs and Swifts. Um, sure. Probably like the, the, the biggest thing with Hyperco is uh, Hyperco's parent company, uh, and, and I am blanking on the name right now. Uh, they make a lot of things. They have like a huge, huge umbrella of manufacturing capability. And so Springs is like a very small element of uh, of that company. Kind of like um, Honeywell would yeah. make. Yeah, they made Garrett for the longest time. And they right, exactly. they also make like crazy machinery for other stuff and turbine engines and like, yeah. Right. So they have a they have a ton of other industry uh uh, data and insight pouring back into the manufacture of their springs and stuff. And yep. so as a result, while Swifts will often ride better than Hypercos, if you are tuning a car for very precise use, if you need a very specific spring rate on track, Hyperco will give you the, uh, the I think across the board, the most accurate spring rate and the most consistent spring rate per spring if you buy a 350 pound spring from hyperco it's going to rate 350 pounds if you buy a 350 pound spring from swift there might be some more variance there and so that's actually a really really great i'm i'm happy you did bring that up because that's another thing you tend to see um the cheaper the spring it tends to be the less accurate the spring. Um, 
it, yeah, it, there are some situations, let's say an 8K spring could be anywhere between 7.5 and 8.5. You know what I mean? From like variance of side to side. Cause the, if you're, we're talking like super cheap shit ass coilovers. Um, then I think you guys actually changed for your base springs. Actually, it, that had to have been like four years ago, five years ago or something, but you guys changed who you were getting those from and the quality of your base spring went way up. Um, and I, I, I do remember that specifically, but, um, so that's, that's really interesting. So the Hyperco, um, due to you think some of their other industry, um, you know, their, their fingers in other areas of the industry, you, they, you believe that their manufacturing process or whatever has made them make the more accurate spring. That's what I, that's what I've seen from, that's cool. from personal testing, like on sure. a spring raider. And then also from like anecdotal, uh, you know, people talking about their experience using hypercos in, in the racing industry in the past. Um, my, yeah, my assumption is that there are, you know, there are other industry ties, uh, have, have a lot to, you know, a lot to play in that. They, and a lot of people don't seem to, I mean, all Swift does is make springs that I know of. Okay. Right. Exactly. A lot of people don't seem to know or quite understand that, you know, there's a, a lot of different things can play in. <laughs> so if you got somebody else within your like industry umbrella, that's, you know, messing around with particular metal treatments or something like that, that, that could definitely bleed over. And, and yeah, so that's super interesting. I, maybe I should try a set of hypercos. Um, um, that, but what I have found, and I am going to say this, the, the Swiss tend to ride better, um, at least Absolutely. across the board. Um, yeah. And I, I, so I, I, if you're dealing with like a race car and, uh, you know, with arrow things like that, and you're really aiming for a very particular spring rate. The hyperco might actually be the better option. Um, that's that's super interesting to hear, and um, I've never actually heard it broke down that way. That's pretty cool. Yeah, no, hypercos. Uh, they have they have a ton like like insanely high granularity in their part numbers. Like you can yeah. find just about everything you need. And interestingly enough, they are also like one of the only places I have ever seen that makes an aftermarket composite leaf spring for the Corvettes, which is oh, like an yeah. absolutely bizarre niche Ooh. thing. But Hyperco yeah. makes an aftermarket composite leaf spring, which is just blows my mind. That's cool. I've always thought that the, the, yeah, it's a leaf spring design, but it's a transverse, transverse leaf spring and a spring is a spring. You know what I mean? If uh, it's exactly. So I, I honestly, if you could harness that, um, there's nothing wrong with that suspension design. Most of those guys tend to go to a coilover setup just due to options of finding other springs and things like that. I, wow. I wonder if those are like freakishly expensive. Um, I couldn't find a price on the website, so I'm going to guess. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You've got to ask, you can't afford it. Exactly. Um, yep. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that, that's, that's really sweet. So, uh, what has been got a question? Okay. Yeah. Got a question about suspension tuning. So <clears throat> in another podcast that I listened to from somebody high up at another suspension company, he, he mentioned a comment offhand that 
in general, for a particular car in a particular application, you don't really need to chase after spring rate changes. After a certain point, springs are just there to hold the car up, and then everything else is handled by the dampers. Uh, mm. Do you agree, disagree, or need more information? That's uh, yeah, no, no. I think that's um. I, I also I think I know what episode of what podcast you are talking about. Um, I think that's a that's a that's like the really interesting perspective on it, and it it definitely applies in some cases. Um, like in, you know, in aero stuff, it absolutely applies because you have, you know, when you have, uh, you know, the load effectively, the load on the suspension changing so dramatically, depending on the, the speed and the, and the condition, uh, of the environment around the car, the spring is just a, you know, it, it is just a platform for the car. Um, and then you really, really are relying on the dampers to to control that that mass in a beneficial way. Um, I think on on street cars and on on grip cars, there is a limit at which that becomes true. Um, but it you know it it's I think platform dependent. But I, I absolutely agree to that sentiment in uh, in in the appropriate conditions. Okay. Now, we talked about this earlier, but I wanted to go back to it and ask. So lowering springs have their place because you're still getting the benefit out of the OEM dampers? Or what exactly is that niche that they fill? So, I mean, in, in my opinion, if you, are, if you are, you know, for example, uh, let's take like a new BMW. Let's take like a, like a G20, an M340i. And you have your eye on a set of a set of wheels and uh, and tires, and you're like targeting a very specific fitment, and you will not drive this car on the track ever. And you are, you know, you just want this car to be daily usable. You want it to look good. You're targeting this fitment. There are a few reasons um, that I think lowering springs are are really beneficial in that area. Uh, first. And uh, I think I mentioned the like the geometry. So you still maintain the the manufacturer's intended operating range of all the suspension links. You're not going outside of that range. So if for it's designed well, right. let's throw that out there. There are poorly designed lowering springs, yeah. and a lot of that exists within the Japanese side of stuff. But well, we'll continue on, and then I'm going to back this up. <laughs> but the the nice thing about the uh, I mean, the nice thing about lowering springs, right, is as long as you're not changing the the pickup points, even if you're sitting on the bump stops the whole time, you're still within the operating range. You haven't shifted the strut top. You haven't changed the strut inclination. And so theoretically, even if you're just literally effectively riding on the bump stops, which, you know, I have definitely seen some that do that. <laughs> um, a bump stop is a spring, and uh, you can definitely ride on bump stops if you if you want to. Uh, I wouldn't recommend it, but they are a spring. Um, but yeah, again, if you're targeting like a specific ride, you know, ride height, and you do not intend to use it on track, and you want close to OEM ride quality, the best thing you can do is, you know, put a spring on there, maintain all your nice NVH isolating materials in your mounting points, and maintain your nice squishy factory bump stops. Uh, maybe you know, maybe cut down a few millimeters for for clearance, and with the new BMW specifically, 
wheel to strut clearance is very, very tight. And so when you put a aftermarket coilover on, usually what you have to do is change the strut inclination a lot to angle the coilover away from the wheel so that you do not rub the wheel against the spring. Because on aftermarket coilovers, the spring is going to come down a lot farther than it will on the OEM strut, where it sits kind of like up above the tire in that big bucket. So if you can keep all of that together, then it's, you know, it's good for a specific customer in a specific niche, um, and especially on modern cars with adaptive suspension. That's a huge, huge issue for, um, for you know, modifying your suspension, because oftentimes the adaptive suspension is really, really good, and the use case by which you need to uh, delete that basically puts you in a position where you're probably not streeting your car anymore. So you're going to change a lot of other things as well. Um, but yeah, that's, I mean, that's, that's my take on it. Um, it's just, you know, uh, the, the more I have worked in aftermarket suspension, the more respect I have for, uh, OEM sure. engineer, you know, engineering. Oh, so okay. let me, I gotta, I gotta add to this then. One of the things we really, we saw it a lot in the Subaru community right around, um, the 08, uh, to 14 time frame, especially in the early 08s. Those cars were so butt ugly. Everybody was just desperately trying with the WRXs, trying to make something that wasn't hideous. And they tried and failed. Um, you tended to get a lot of people running lowering springs because coilovers at that point, a lot of improvements have been made. Um, but um, you, you had a lot of people trying the the lowering spring setups and then very, very shortly thereafter the shock would fail. Um, like it, mm. I, I cannot tell you how many times you would see that, um, you know, working at six star. And some of that is, you know, I was in the Chicago area and the roads were terrible. Okay. Yeah. So, um, you know, what, what's, is, is there, I think there's such thing as a bad lowering spring. And I, I guess um, my understanding of why they would fail so much is they were actually running outside of their operating range. Um, I mean, you can bounce off of a bump stop to a, a certain degree, but you know, you're, if you're crashing into it too much, things are going to get hurt. Um, yeah. So I guess uh, what's, what's, is there such thing as, literally like a, a shock hanging out in an area it shouldn't be. So it's interesting you bring that up because um, I think you're, you're absolutely correct about the operating range, but in my experience, it's a different operating range. It's actually okay. the, the dampers uh, like rebound control range. Okay. Um, in a lot of uh, like twin tube, OEM style struts, um, the rebound valve, uh, it's going to make, you know, a certain amount of force. And again, it's usually tuned for ride quality rather than handling. And so if you put a significantly stiffer spring on that, like a lot of the, the, the low, you know, the low effort lowering springs, um, that's going to put a ton of added force onto your rebound circuit. 
and way more in a lot of cases than it was designed for because they're again they're you know they're calibrated for a specific spring and if you exceed that range you can damage the damper in those in those ways um so physically oh, bump I never stop actually looked at it that way <laughs> yep engagement all the time is terrible right yeah um yeah, and eventually I mean, over time you're going to wear out the bump stop too if they're if they're like a you know like a polyfoam or something that's that's going to degrade with with you know significant uh use and constant pressure um sure. eventually you're going to be you're going to be looking at metal to metal contact and when you're looking at metal to metal contact you're you know you're not in a good place ever um yeah. but you've seen a lot of cases where like uh uh I, I see this in like honda fit forums um okay yeah like and and usually old threads with yeah. uh, with a lot of reference to like really really stiff springs especially in the rear um those rear struts will just get obliterated if you if you put like a stupid stiff uh like progressive spring that people would do on there um I mean that's just the case, right? Because I think the the OEM spring on the rear of the fit is like 125 pounds per inch. It's nothing. Like it's it's basically a helper spring on any other suspension. And yeah. so if then you you go to a a spring that's like progressive, where it will fill the space that it needs to, so that the spring doesn't fall out. But then the second you set the weight of the car down on it, it turns into like an 8K. So like like uh, like greater than a 400-pound spring. Yes. You've effectively quadrupled the load that that, strut or that damper was ever supposed to experience, and it just yeah. destroys the rebound circuit. Well, I mean, there you go. That's, like a, so, that's a huge issue with those, especially. But yeah, we used to see it all the time in the rear, um, mostly due to the multi-link stuff you know um there, that mm-hmm. shock just yeah. isn't set up for that so um very, either way it's a very economy looking shock i mean it's a it, it's a it little is. twin tube shock and it's a, they put a lot of effort in the front specifically <laughs> well they they a lot of people are like well multi-link you know the geometry will be better this is an improvement over the old strut suspension <laughs> they did that because they wanted a good way to give you more trunk space yeah, it yeah. was not no, done for performance, my guys. <laughs> no, no, unfortunately, it was not. Um, but yeah. I got a couple other questions that I want to get to. Um, <laughs> one of the things, and I, I think this is one of the reasons I think a lot of that stuff happened on the fit. Um, you will have somebody who will be running a particular spring rate on a one particular chassis, I, this is going to sound like a stupid question coming out of my mouth, but I, I literally see this. So they'll be like, they had a 05 STI and they were running 10K, 10K on track. Just love that setup. It was great. So then they went and got a uh, 2015 STI and they put that exact same spring rate on that because they liked it on their 05 STI. Um, how well does that tend to work? Um... Well, if you're putting exactly the same spring on, then it's probably not going to work great. But if you do the math and you work the same wheel rate, you will likely get a good result. If you had a ride, uh, you know, a, a, a ride behavior that you liked before, uh, figuring out the wheel rate and then 
basically the wheel just, rate will yeah. change the spring rate though will it not right. it will exactly so you need a different spring yeah <laughs> you will need a happen, different right? spring rate <laughs> i run into this a lot that these guys with four struts you know that they they had a yeah. four strut suspension like on an 05 sti like man i had these they were great i want i want that exact spring rate on these because I, I want it to feel the same i'm like i won't feel the same because your rear suspension is completely different and and yeah. you know and it's i've had people in time attack do the same thing notable oh, people <laughs> yeah um, i mean okay it's, it's not always intuitive but yeah no it's it's there there's so much more to it is is really what i'm getting it's a system and it must be treated as a system same thing with like you know it, coilovers are one piece of your suspension system you know and then there's arms you know in in our case on boogie knuckles things of that nature um front and rear sway bars um where the weight is Lots of stuff can really go into how this vehicle is going to handle and ride. Tires, geez, I can't even believe I went past tires like that. Um, yeah. But it's a system, and it needs to be looked at as a system. And exactly. it's not buy this piece, and then I'll upgrade to this piece later and upgrade. It's not like you're you're just going to progressively. Like, if you, you get something that's set up for the end goal, but you don't have everything else to make that work, that that particular piece might feel like ass. Sometimes that is unfortunately the set of coilovers that you set up for. I want to go bonsai track use, and you know you. It, it, I, I I digress. I run into that all the time. Um, that's exactly. a me thing. So Do you... I, I want to answer a couple of questions that I have in the the chat though. Okay, um, GT fifty eight. He he's very insistent that we answer this question. So Dom from Get a Dom Tune. He's kind of a big deal inside of the Subaru community. So I don't want to. You know, Dom's good peeps. He's a big fan of the Hyperco Springs. And I remember Hyperco and Ibach. Him and, and I, I don't want to keep beating Springs up to death, but um, he has seen, and I'm I'm buddies with Dom, and I've heard this from him. He has seen Swift's sag. Now, with that stated, he and I have never seen that happen on a Subaru application, but are there certain applications or certain situations that maybe a hyperco might be the better. Have you ever seen spring sag on a, on a swift spring? I have personally never seen it, but I have heard that referenced. Um, yes. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's, it's definitely down to the use case. It's definitely down to like the, you know, the, the kind of, the kind of chassis, like you said, I don't think I've, I've heard of that on a Subaru. Um, but uh, I also haven't, heard of it on hypercos however uh i think this was this must have been a, a while ago this is far before my time um uh i've heard of hypercos like slightly uh deforming over time like mm -hmm. getting uh like bananaed a little bit um okay. but uh not very commonly and i know they have a great solution for that which is their uh their very cool hydraulic spring perch which allows the spring to actually articulate and maintain like a linear actuation those are yeah. super cool those things are great <laughs> they're 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 so neat um i uh, I, I looked uh, at the like the actual schematic of the thing and it's like it's an so it's so simple 
It's brilliant. Um, yep. That's a fantastic product. Uh, but yeah, I, yeah. To to kind of just just summarize uh, real quick, uh, I am aware that there's like experience with hyper or I'm sorry with Swift's sagging, uh, but I've personally never experienced it. And I again, I I don't have like a specific idea about why it would be and why it doesn't affect others. Um, I don't think I've ever um, seen it, but I when I do hear about it, I tend to hear about it in the the extreme if i remember right and this is me just i'm kind of shooting at the hip here but i re i feel like i remember it being on a coilover converted corvette which if you think about it that car was not designed to be that way and there is a lot that goes the those guys in kentucky know what the hell they're doing okay, mm -hmm. okay. the fat men in kentucky can build a damn <laughs> suspension and you know, when us in the aftermarket start screwing with stuff, um, there's forces put in places that, you know, maybe weren't originally thought of. So maybe it was putting up, you know, a weird, you know, tweak to the spring that I don't think was taken into account or something. I, I don't know. I'm literally shooting at the hip here, but I, that's where I feel I, I feel that was the particular application that was brought up. Could be wrong. Okay. Interesting. Um, yeah, I don't know. Just food for thought. Um, but next one, this is actually a pretty good question. Uh, Kron, um, another new guy. And I, I really love and seeing all these new people. This is awesome. GT58 Kron, you guys are awesome. Um, would you recommend corner balancing for competition app for competition applications? Or do you find value in it in daily driving? I think is what he's saying is for competition applications, it's kind of you you should corner balance um even though i'm not i'm going to be real um i just want a championship without a corner balance um but uh do you find value in a daily driver being corner balanced um i mean i think there's value in you know just about just about anything like that if it's something that you are interested in doing if you find you know if you find that the specific characteristics of your car, like if you are that attuned to the way that your suspension feels, then yes, for that person, I can absolutely see value in corner balancing for daily driving. Mm -hmm. If you're just driving your car from point A to point B and you don't even think about the suspension while you're driving, I do not see value in it for that person. Um, That's so it's very subjective. Kind of yeah, where I'm at. I've, I've been asked this before, and what I usually tend to tell people is if you know, if, if you're doing performance driving with your car, let's say you go up in the mountains a lot and rip, you know, corners and stuff. If that's what you tend to do a lot. And even if that's something you do on the way home, you know what I mean? Quite a bit, maybe a yeah. corner balance is going to be worth it to you. If all you're doing is driving around, maybe going to some car meets and once a year, you may or may not go to a track day. Um, yeah. and the lap time doesn't really mean a whole lot. Eh. Yeah, I think Adam D said in the chat exactly what I was going to say as soon as you were done, which is yeah. if you have to ask, then yes. Yeah, yeah there you go. Like, if you're yeah. thinking about it that hard, do it. Yeah, and it's believe me, it's not going to hurt in any way other than your wallet. Exactly. There's, there's no downside to a corner balance. <laughs> yeah, right. And, if you know, if you have the means and the opportunity, to, you know, to to DIY it, um, then it's a fantastic learning experience. And sure. It gives you like a really, you know, a really good sense of uh, of ownership of the way that your car feels and rides, and it's, you know, it's absolutely something to 
something to be proud of if you can do that yourself as well. Question from the um, chat that applies to me. Advantages okay. of camber adjustment at the top versus at the knuckle. So I put on eccentric bolts to gain a little camber in the front of my BRZ, for example. Mm -hmm. Yep. Okay. Uh, advantages. Uh, m m more adjustability in motorsports applications is better. Um, again, it's 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 going to be subjective and like a tuning tool. Uh, if you you know, if, if you want to clear tires, for example, having the ability to change the entire strut inclination significantly is a is a very beneficial, uh, like like a like a huge benefit, um, because depending on again, like depending on the the size tire you're running, uh, the tire might uh, and the offset as well, it might make contact with the with the coilover, right? Because again, that's you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of aftermarket elements at play there. And so like OEM fitment is no longer guaranteed. So being able to just take the entire coilover and just lean it away from the wheel, that's a huge benefit. Um, as for the actual effects of that, um, I, I can't really speak to any specific benefits. The only caution I would say is the farther you lean that strut over, the more uh, like kind of secondary loads it will take. And so uh on applications like that uh, you're going to want to kind of keep it as close as possible to the strut inclination that was on the OEM setup unless you are changing other pickup points or other geometry corrections well, there you go that makes <laughs> sense to me yeah i mean that's i mean I guess that's not exactly how anti-dive and anti-squat works, but there there tends to be almost like a binding effect if you go lean stuff too far over and expect it to work within a particular plane. And uh, you know, there's there are other other things that may cause cause you big headaches. Um oh, yeah. let me see. So Cortez is asking um, I think this is applicable to most vehicles, so this is a pretty good question. Um, he says it might be off topic, but for the VA chassis, and honestly, this is for all chassis, I've heard lowering the ride height throws off the kinematics and can actually make handling worse on track. I'll be the first to tell you, yes, um, depending on if you get to a particular point. This is why you have to talk to somebody who knows what they're doing. Um, is there any truth to this? And is ride height versus kinematics relationship accounted for when tuning dampers? Mm, okay. Yeah. So hmm. the, yeah, the ride height thing, uh, on the VA. And I mean, I guess on everything that's like, uh, I don't know. What do you call that? Is it, is it safe to call that like Subaru global platform, right? That Yeah. Uh, Subaru global, basically anything await and up WRX and STI. Yeah. Um, or I, I like to refer to it as multi-link cars multi because for cars. us, okay. it's either four, four struts or multi-link in the rear with struts in the front. Sure. Um, yeah, uh, so, okay, yeah, so on multi-link Subarus, right, um, and, and a, lo and a lot of multi-link cars, um, yeah, if you lower it outside of, of the operating range, you're going to have to move some of the, some of the pickup points around or change some of the length of the links in that system to maintain, like, an appropriate camber curve. Um, your, you know, your, your center of gravity and your roll center, uh, their relationship will change and that will change like basically how much role the car will have effectively how much, uh, 
much force the act of going around a corner will have on the suspension. That changes. And so uh, damper tuning is something that can be accounted for there. But I think if you're getting to a point where you're you're needing to change damper tuning um, because of your because of your ride height on a Subaru, um, you might want to just get a better bump stop. So like that's yeah. I've got a I've got a few things to kind of say on this. So for years we were running um, 07 STI knuckles on my GC. Um, okay. This was right up until not last year, but the year before. Um, long story short, you can make up a lot of, you can make up for some of the handling issues with, you know, doing some trickery with dampers, but the reality of it is camber curves and stuff. If you, you over lower something, your camber curve is going to go in the toilet. And in some cases, especially with stance cars or over lowered cars, you may actually lose camber under compression versus gain it. Um, mm-hmm. And that yep. that crossover happens at a lot higher ride height than you would think. Um, yeah. In the rear, um, especially with multi-link cars, not only does the camber curve get goofed up, but there's also like a, a toe um, curve that you kind of have to uh, account for too. And when you lower it, it, crazy things happen and where I tend to yeah. see really crazy things happen on um, the multi-link cars isn't actually with track cars. It's with drag cars. Um, mm. And those cars okay. do some wacky shit when they try to like slam second and third and they like bounce down really hard. And then all of a sudden these cars are looking at walls, um, which I think there's, there's ways to fix that, but that's, that's a whole different story. But with Boogie, we went over to a a uh, a drop knuckle setup front and rear, and everything that we had been doing with suspension tuning got thrown right into the garbage when we did that because our camber curves made sense. Now we immediately had more grip. Um, we could we could you know totally change our damper settings. It was it was not even close. Like it, we were we were basically trying to make the car rotate um around really shitty front suspension geometry and now that we had grip in the front the car was trying to kill us and it was it was great like i mean i would rather my car be trying to kill me and i have to dial it back that's something you never have on a subaru but um again it's a system is really what what i want to kind of get at and if you lower the car on with a subaru it's honestly much past like an inch you start really throwing stuff off yeah it's it's um and and also i mean especially with like if you're trying to do that with uh with stock arms uh, good yep. luck yeah have fun yeah like if you're <laughs> going to if you're going to lower your car more than an inch it's immediately time for probably you know adjustable ruler control arms and adjustable toe arms usually like yep it's there's a there's a lot there um yes. In yeah. the rear, it's it's adjustable control and toe for anybody who's looking to drop anything more than an inch on a VA. Like exactly. I, that's immediately like this. This is what you need. In fact, I'm getting asked to put a suspension package together. Um, so we and that's one of the things I'm going to be working on is you need a you need a toe and a camber setup uh, to make this yeah. work. I don't think people are going to be happy when I. I hand over the amount that this actually costs to do it correctly, but I refuse yeah. to do it wrong. So, um, awesome. 
Oh, what are we doing? Um, at what point would you recommend? Actually. What's that? I have one thing to note on that. If you're uh, if you're working yeah. on um, compiling ways for people to spend money, uh, I always uh, am. Yeah. So as I say, <laughs> um, uh, we just finished and just launched our pro extended rear top hats. Um, that gives yes! you two extra inches of stroke in the rear as compared to our previous uh, rear top hat. So, uh, we, I would like small. to talk more about that, but for the multi-link guys, that's awesome. Everybody should have that. The BRZ guys, like I, every single customer I send is probably going to be getting that. Well, that's, <laughs> that's fantastic. But I wanted to throw that out there because I know it very early on in the in the show, you mentioned something about that. That short I knew you were guys were playing with it, but I didn't know how far along you were on it. So I didn't want to like be like, this is coming. You know what I mean? Yep. Yep. No, that's fantastic. Uh, Dylan, tell the freaking drag team that we're doing those two ways or having extended top hats. Um, this is happening. You guys really, have you ever thought about making arms and some other stuff for some of these platforms you do a lot of? That would be pretty sick if we could order like the ass end of a car for a Subaru. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, thought about it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, there's, you know, there's a, there's a lot, a lot of projects in the pipeline. Um, and, uh, you know, we've, we've definitely considered some different, you know, some different arm options. Uh, somebody said in the chat, oh, Adam D said Varus makes lower control arms with poly bushings. Um, yeah, I mean, absolutely. Like at, at this point in time, personally, uh, just based on like my research, and this is not a, a fortune recommendation. This is a me yeah. recommendation. Um, I would go with the Varus arms all day right now. Yep. Um, they're, they're really some the, good. Some of the best looking in my opinion, and they're, they're very well engineered. Um, Eric at Varus is a, is a, is a really careful and Love thoughtful individual. So it's a, a great product. Yep. Varus and SPC tend to be my two go-tos yep. for any of the multi-link Absolutely. Cars. Yep. They're, they're, they're the answer. So, um, right. Well, I'm going to try to bang through some of these questions here real quick. Um, cool. cause at some point we have to end this thing. Um, <laughs> um, Josh is saying at what point or would it become necessary to upgrade a 510 to a double adjustable? Um, I mean, Ooh. you can, you can add to this. I will, I'd be more than happy to say my two cents on this one too, but that is, that is a, a huge, like, you know, that's, that's, that's a very personal thing. Um, you know, we will never tell you it's time for you to upgrade unless you literally, okay. <laughs> well, well maybe if you're, you know, if you're, if you're doing more hands-on, right. And you know, the, you know, the driver's like yeah. more directly, right. But you know, we'll tell you to upgrade if the thing you're asking for is like, Hey, like I need more adjustment. Right. Yeah. Obviously that's, that's easy. But if you feel like you have maximized the capability of the platform within the confines of one adjustment, it's time to upgrade. Yep. Here's my two cents. If you're looking for multiple seconds, it's mm. not time. If you're looking yeah. for tenth, it's time. Yeah, I like that. I like that a lot. So, and that's that's the, you know, that's in street modified, the class is just nuts. Like it, it, you're looking for tenths. Hell, you're looking for hundreds. Um, like that's how stupid stuff has gotten. So that's, if you want a very easy way to put that, that's how I would put that. 
Yeah, um, I, I and like tense that. mean a lot <laughs> in this class. Um, so what do we got? Um, this is a. I kind of know the answer to this question, um, but feel free to answer this or not, or give a political statement. Why were the air cup lift system discontinued? It seemed like a really useful application. Um, that is way before my time. Uh, what, what I've heard, um, you know, what I, what I've been told is, you know, like a, a, a PR statement effectively is it was, uh, it was a it was a a costly and complicated product for us, um, and it, it it wasn't really making sense from uh, from a lot of standpoints. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's that's all I have it, to say on that. If it makes dollars, it makes sense, and unfortunately, that wasn't making dollars. And a lot of the stuff that you guys had to use for that, you're not creating in house. Therefore, yeah. like. I think you guys ran into some QC issues of stuff that was so completely out of your hands. At a certain point, you have to go, we can't control it. We're not going to, we're not going to do it. And I, I, yeah. I think me being somebody who was selling that product, I'm happy it went away. So it was, yeah, it's again, way before my time. Um, so I yep. have, I haven't had to deal with, with, with any of that system at all. You don't even have to get into that any further. <laughs> um, <laughs> um oh hey that's a safety mike okay safety mike he's one of our um uh, he's like a grid life he's like the grid life safety guy he's he's uh, he's always in here but he's got a pretty good question off topic which i don't think it's that off topic but is the oil in a shock flammable hmm okay uh i mean i think at some point yeah uh, like the oil that we're using is, uh, like an Amsoil 10 weight synthetic. Um, yeah. if you, if you go and like, look it up, uh, you can actually go on Amsoil's website and get the MSDS, the material data safety sheet on that. That will tell you everything you need to know about the actual, fl yeah, yep. There you go. Flashpoint. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it is flammable to a degree. It is not flammable within the operating range of a shock absorber. If it were exposed to an open flame outside of a shock absorber, uh, yeah, it might catch on fire. Well, I mean, engine oil isn't, I mean, it's flammable once you get it hot enough. If it right. hits your exactly. hot header after you threw a rod through the top of it because you money shifted the living shit out of your car, you have me at uh, at at Laguna this year. So um, Sounds personal because it is. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm still salty. Um... Yeah, uh, Varus makes nice LCAs with poly bushings. Again, really great option. Um, need more adjustable suspension solutions without heim joints to stay in the class rules. Ah, yeah, there's different uh, classes out there mm. that they don't let you use heim joints or certain things. You got to keep some form of like a rubber or poly bushing. Um, that's one of the nice things about time attack is it's fairly open. Um, but man, some of those SCCA guys, they got to deal with all sorts of crazy stuff, which is where you start running into a lot of geometry problems. These guys add these really crazy wheel tire combos and all sorts of stuff, but they're not allowed to add a, a roll center adjustment kit to their car because they consider that moving suspension mounting points. Right. And you know, and it, it, there's so many goofy rules like that. Like, uh, if you run a, we refer to it or white line refers to it as an anti-lift kit, but it, it gets rid of, uh, um, it, it, it basically adds caster to the, the front control arms. And it's, mm -hmm. it's really great for handling caster is fantastic just because it's like dynamic camber. Um, 
but that throws you like three classes up in uh, SCCA. It like completely throws you into like space. And um, yeah, yeah, that sucks. Um, but is what it is. It just depends on who you're working with and you know, what class you're in and what you can and can't do. Right. Um, exactly. And, uh, I think we're going to end it on this one. It's just a funny quote from Cortez says, anything is a smoke machine when you use it wrong enough. <laughs> oh yeah. So Zach, this was great, man. I I'd love to do this again. We actually had a pretty good turnout here. Um, it went a little longer than I was hoping for it to, to go, but I, I, I think we, we really went over some good topics. Um, I learned a little bit. I hope some people out in the crowd learned a little bit. And uh, if people need to get a hold of you or Fortune Auto, what's what's the best way to do it? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, thanks for thanks for having me. I really enjoyed chatting with you guys, and uh, I you know I hope I hope I've been able to uh, provide you know satisfactory answers. Um, absolutely. If, uh, oh, I think you've been you. fantastic, man. Honestly, this this was great. I this was this it. actually is better than I thought it was going to be. Um, and that's, that's being as honest as I possibly can be. I, this was, this was fantastic. So I, maybe we can do this again sometime. I think it was awesome. I'd really like to hear some horror stories on stuff that <laughs> this is things I wanted to get to like horror stories. What's your least favorite suspension, you know, stuff of that nature. Maybe this summer we can do this again. And yeah. I think it would be great. I would love to do this again. Great yeah, idea. Like, well, I'll tell you what, let's do it in person. Let's uh, yeah, hey, that'd be fun. Do it in house. That would be sick. I'll bring the the. Hopefully, I'll have the podcast equipment at that point. We can go down there and literally do it in house. And uh, there you go. You know, chat it up. Um, does Terry even come into the office anymore? I'd love to see Terry. I love that guy. Um, Terry, Terry is a. He's taking a little bit of, of a like a backseat approach of late. Um, yeah. Luckily, he doesn't have to. You know, be in the office. Every he's got day a great team there. day to day. Yeah, like yeah. we've we've been able to keep things kind of buttoned down. So. Uh, he doesn't come in every day, but you know, he's still, he's still here. It would be sick to have him come in and I'd like to hear some stories of how fortune started, you know, hurdles that they ran into it more of just like, I want that as a, I do this segment called talking shop. Okay. Or I tend to, um, like I had, uh, Brian at turbo time on here. Um, and I just, I wanted to hear the history of where they came from. And half of that conversation was about, um, you know, sci-tai, uh, like cyclones and typhoons and stuff like that, you know, before we actually got into, um, Subaru stuff. And I, I, I just, I love hearing that. A lot of people love hearing where these businesses came from and I, you know, it might not exactly be IEG oriented, but I think it's really good for the community to hear a lot of these things. And Terry's, Terry's a great guy. So put a bug in his ear about that, but, um, yeah, I'd love to come down there. That'd be sick. Why don't we, uh, why don't we look into that? Um, yeah. once again, if they need to get a hold of you, how would they do that? Um, you can always uh, you can always reach out to us on Instagram. Uh, that's a, that's a good way to kind of get in touch and just you know start a conversation. Um, sure. If you want to start a more formal conversation, shoot us an email: sales at fortune auto dot com, or you can just go to our website: fortune auto dot com. Yeah. I'm also going to throw this out here too. The majority of the IEG dealer network are fortune auto dealers. And awesome. I love talking about fortunes and I understand these chassis and what works very well. I've been doing this a really long time. I would love 
to talk to you about Fortunato. So if you want to call me and talk about Fortunato, I'm here to help you out. And I'm going to keep trying to talk warranty into <laughs> he's about to get a brand new BRZ TS to replace his current brand new BRZ. BRZ. And uh, I, I want coming. Yeah, but we're going to throw those out. We're going to get a badass set of five tens on a set of Swifts. You keep saying that, man. I don't know. You can hey. prove to me that dynamics are better. I'll do it. But we're going to do it and it's going to so be hard. sick. It's going to be sick. It's going to be sick. <laughs> I have All no right. need for coilovers. I have a need for better performance, better adhesion. Yes, and we can do that. We can yeah. do it. We can have your cake and eat it too. Tell them, Zach. <laughs> we can we can we can certainly try. We will do our, our very best to meet the the needs that you have for, you know, again, whatever it is. Uh, on See? track, on the street, we'll we'll uh we'll use our we'll use our capabilities to give you what you need. Iron my, my clad are... warranty. Iron my... clad. He says it's happening. <laughs> my needs are Dewey and Zach both need to say this is magnificent. Yeah. Okay. And we can do that. Let's do it. That'd be great. Why don't we bring your car to Fortune and do it? That would be awesome. Why don't we this idea. summer you and I both go down there and we'll we'll talk to you in person. Podcast, a little bit of video. And we'll pick your coilovers up in person that you're gonna have already ordered up and ready to go. Stick the car <laughs> on the shock dyno and go, this is why it's better. Data. Exactly. Math. This is gonna be great. Why are we not doing I, right, I this, is, this is awesome. This is fantastic. We're just it's writes itself. All right. Um, it's been real. It's been fun. It's been real fun, guys. We will see you next week. Um, I think we're going to have an argument next week, which is going to be great. Um, so, uh, yeah, we'll see you then. And uh, thanks for tuning in. Um, later. <laughs>